Welcome to Tangents. I'm Susan Farley, Project Manager from McLaughlin Research Corporation, and I support the Public Affairs Office of the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, Division Newport. June is Pride Month, and we're excited to bring you a special series to celebrate. Vima Manfredo is Division Newport's Special Emphasis Program Manager for LGBTQ A, and she has taken over as host of Tangents. She's assembled a wonderful lineup of guests, and there have been some great thought-provoking conversations detailing the struggles and the goals of the LGBTQ community. In this episode, Vima talks with Michael Bedwell, a documentarian of the gay rights movement whose friendship with Leonard Matlevich inspired him to write about and talk about gays in the military. For those listeners unfamiliar with Leonard Matlevich, he was the first service member to come out as gay. He inspired so many others with his words and his actions, and Michael talks with Vima about their friendship. Have a listen. Welcome back to Tangents, um, all of you. I hope this is not the first episode, because then it won't make sense. Um, but we are joined today with Michael Bedwell. Um, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I just wanted to start before we get into the nitty gritty, just a brief introduction of yourself and your uh, LGBT activism in a nutshell. Uh, thank you for having me. I've been an activist for a little over 50 years. And that period, early in that period, overlapped the beginning of the really serious uh, fight to try to end the policy ban against gays in the military that dated to World War II. I became friends with Leonard Matlevich, the first service member to purposely out himself to try to fight the ban. And though I continued to try to educate and teach others about gay rights history generally, uh, my specialization as such has been on the military ban because it has affected so many people in so many ways. That's such a, a, a great resource in, in bringing awareness and, and reminding everyone where we were in to understand where we're going. Um, so you mentioned Malkovich. Can you tell us more about how did you two meet um, since he's such a an icon to the gay service members? Sure. I was one of the organizers, what we call the Gay Awareness Conference at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. And that was the year that he outed himself to the Air Force. And we were organizing various speakers for the conference, and uh, we invited him. Out of that, he and I became friends, eventually roommates, in Washington, D.C., and later San Francisco. Amazing. His, his case is really one that, unfortunately, a lot of younger people, both in and out of the service, aren't as aware of as they might be, simply because he passed in 1988 of AIDS, and uh, whatever the subject, of course, time passes and other people come of age and they're less aware of it. But he had a huge impact. I know people who have said they came out because of him. One person said, I remember where I was when President Kennedy was shot, and I remember where I was when I saw Leonard Matlovich on the cover of Time magazine. 
Leonard did not overturn the ban as he had hoped, but a federal judge after the Air Force refused to justify why they were not applying the then exception ban to uh, a technical sergeant with uh, 12 years of service, three tours of Vietnam, a Bronze Star, and a Purple Heart, the judge said, well, you have to, you have to readmit him. So he was ordered reinstated along with a gay ensign from the Navy whose case was joined with his. But by that time, which was 1980, uh, Leonard had realized that even if he went back in, the Air Force would find some other excuse to discharge him because he had given them a black eye, essentially, in terms of uh, public relations. So he was offered a settlement and he took it, but he continued to lobby against the ban as well as any number of other gay rights issues. For instance, he was one of the leaders against the Anita Bryant anti-gay campaign in 1977, etc., etc. One person, a gay writer named Malcolm Boyd, called him the uh, Lindbergh of the gay rights movement. And uh, he was my hero before he was my friend, but I'm proud that he was both, and I've been, been involved in more than one LGBT Veterans Day observance next to his iconic grave in Congressional Cemetery, which for those unaware, bears the epitaph on his tombstone. When I was in the military, they gave me a discharge excuse me, they gave him gave me a medal for killing two men and a discharge for loving one. Yeah, in the and that tombstone is uh it's iconic and it's recognizable. Um just for our lin- listeners that are from NAFC, last year we did uh part of our highlight of prominent military personnel that were in the LGBTQ community, uh we did a highlight on Malkovich and we'll probably uh, just re-highlight him this, this year to refresh everybody's memory from, from all the work that he did uh, while he was in service and after he got out. Um, I know he did a lot of activism after uh, the whole debacle with the Air Force was settled. Yes, thank you. For those unaware, do you ever discuss uh, GEOMI, the defense? education group that publishes pride materials each year? Yeah, so our EO office is aligned with the OMI. Here in Newark, we do pronounce it for some reason. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. I'm I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. Anyway, I was pleased to see that there are now several uh, new things online, and one of them, which they have included in years past, is a PowerPoint presentation, and Leonard is one of the three uh, veterans that they uh, include. Yeah, I just saw that. Um, thank you for forwarding it to me just before this call. Um, I will definitely be using all that material for, to share with our workforce here at NAVC. Michael, can I ask a question? What do you th- uh, think Leonard would think of the current state 
of the military with regard to LGBT? I think, uh, not to get too emotional, but I think he would be moved to tears. He said uh, at, after uh, the end of his administrative discharge hearing in uh, September of 1975, maybe not in my lifetime, but we are going to win in the end. I'm sorry he did not live to see it, but I know him well enough that he would be with pride for all of those people who fought the ban after him and all of those people, wherever they are on the spectrum, who are serving now as out proud uh, members of whatever branch of the military. Uh, I just a couple weekends ago, uh, traveled to Washington to attend the retirement ceremonies for Army Major General Cammie Smith, an out lesbian who came out publicly in 2012 and uh, as of this year served her country for 35 years. The ceremony for her that was sponsored by the Army was just very, very moving. For instance, a part of it was uh, music by the Army Drum and Fife Corps, whereas 243 years ago, they were used to drum people out of the Revolutionary Army who were thought to be gay. And 243 years later, they were celebrating an out lesbian officer. It's, it's just such a good example of if we continue to advocate and to fight for our rights as LGBTQ in all areas, including in, in service, so much that we can accomplish. But going back to history, uh, we, we were talking about the ban of, of gays in the military in the 80s. How did that change over the years? It gradually, on one level, actually got better. One of the myths that I'd like to clear up is one constantly reads very well-meaning people saying that everybody who was ever discharged got a dishonorable discharge characterization. That is not true. Up until about 1970, most got uh, what we would now call an undesirable discharge. It was very bad. Unfortunately, the Navy was the worst of all throughout the history of it. For instance, in 1966, they alone, out of all of the branches, discharged 1,708 people for being gay, which was 500 more than all of the branches discharged during the uh, worst year of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. But about 1970, while the discharges continued, the characterization improve even back in world war ii whereas again contrary to myth only a few thousand were discharged out of some 18 million who served 
Even then, some got honorable discharges. But there was this period after the war up until about 1970 when all of the branches gave these negative uh, characterizations. A dishonorable discharge, as probably most of your listeners understand, comes only through a court-martial hearing. And both for officers and for enlisted, the military, because the the, uh, court-martial procedure is so time-consuming and costly, they, they would try to uh, do it administratively. For instance, Harvey Milk, probably the most famous gay veteran after Leonard, was an officer, a lieutenant junior grade in the Navy, and he was forced to resign in lieu of, of a court-martial. The discharge level numbers kind of began to go up and down a little bit uh, in the 80s. By the end of the 80s, between World War II and the end of that decade, about 100,000 had been discharged. And um, there was a move on to lift the ban. In 1992, two Navy service members purposely outed themselves on national TV. One, a lieutenant colonel, a, a top gun Navy uh, a navigator, uh, Tracy Thorne. Uh, one, Keith Meinhold, uh, the court reinstated him, and he served as an outsailer for another five years. Tracy Thorne, unfortunately, happened to be in a different federal circuit, and he was, in fact, discharged twice under the old policy ban and under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Don't Ask, Don't Tell was, unfortunately, the backlash to President Clinton's very sincere attempt to lift the ban administratively. But both he and the gay rights movement, such as it existed at the time, totally underestimated how ferocious the opposition would be. The Democrats controlled both houses of Congress in 1993. But the majority voted with those Republicans in Congress to codify the policy ban into what colloquially was known <coughs> as don't ask, don't tell, in order to prevent the president from issuing an executive order to lift the ban. It passed in both houses by a veto-proof majority. Another myth I'd like to clear up is people say, well, it was, it was better because gays could serve as long as they stayed closeted. Well, that was always true. I mean, that, that was just gotten propaganda at, at the time. Imagine if they had said, well, African-Americans can serve as long as they pass for white. Nobody would have stood for that. Right. But fortunately, growing out of that ban was a stronger uh, movement to uh, end it. They lost heart for a few years, but fortunately, they kept at it until 2010, when enough 
people in Congress were willing to pass the bill that provided for the possibility of repeal. Those conditions were met six months later, and then, as hopefully most of your listeners know, repeal was finally implemented on September 20th, uh, 10 years ago. So this is a great year of celebration, along with the fact that President Biden has overturned the ban on open transgender service. We still have a lot to do, but the progress we have achieved is just amazing, and folks, LGBT plus service members, veterans, and their civilian allies can take credit for that. That's, that's a great summary on, on the history. And, and like you said, the, the implementation of Don't Ask, Don't Tell was just a codification of a band that was already there. Because like you mentioned, as long as you were in the closet and you didn't tell anyone you were gay, you could serve. And that was the true throughout history. Because in, in when people were signing up for the military or being drafted, they were always in the closet until after Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And it was because of pioneers like Malkovich and because and a lot more others that this policy was finally repealed and now service members can serve their country while living authentically. And that is so important. It, exactly, exactly. And what wasn't, I think, adequately enough by the administration and members of Congress in 1992, uh, and it took a while to get fixed. But we're now in a place a decade later where it is not just LGBT plus service members themselves who are being affirmed and celebrated, but their spouses and their children they, military families, are as important because of their support of the service members as the service members themselves. And it's wonderful to be able to see them living openly and authentically, too, versus those years when, uh, before repeal, lesbian and gay and bisexual service members had not only to keep their their own identity secret, but their loved ones. Right, and that is something that we touched on on um, another one of, of our episodes here of our takeover. How important it is for that circle of support surrounding that service member, and if we extended that circle of support of our civilian workforce here, when you have LGBTQ plus folks here that are afraid to open up and talk about their families, that puts a damper on their morale and that also dampers their, their productivity and how well can they can do their, their job and, and achieve their mission. So being able to live freely and, and love authentically and present your family and have that support system, whether you're civilian or military, it's such a powerful force. Absolutely, and, and one of the things I'm especially uh, 
glad to see is that once the Pentagon embraced repeal, they moved again as a result of the lobbying from LGB service members and civilians to not just phrase it, frame it uh, in the context of, well, uh, we have to do this because equal treatment, et cetera, and that's what the United States is about. They said that diversity and unity is a part of mission readiness. The military cannot do its job either as peacekeepers or defenders of America if their service members, all of their service members, cannot feel like they can genuinely be a, a, a part of it. So that full circle of looking at it from every aspect, I think, is as much as anything our greatest progress and an indicator of how sincere the majority of leadership at the Pentagon, I'm sure there are still some exceptions, but the majority now embrace that, such as the, the Secretary of Defense's uh, memo that he sent out in uh, March, saying that the American military was going to play an active role both at home and abroad in advocating for equality for LGBT plus service members and people generally. Yeah, and, the, and that is such a big impact statement from someone so high above the food chain where we are putting inclusion and diversity in our people at the forefront and they're making sure that we are providing everything we can to our workforce and our, and our service members. I, I totally agree and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the civilian workforce uh, uh, that's a part of, of the Pentagon. I mean it's thousands of people as you know and military, the Defense Department, remains the nation's largest employer and both in a functional way of treating their uniform and civilian employees equally is one part of it. The other part of it is the messaging that that sends, the example it sends. There was the previous example of racial integration. It took a long time for that to happen. There were many problems after it, and we know there are still many problems today. But again, the Defense Department became the largest racially integrated employer in the country. And so they set the example. Absolutely. And I mean, in terms of the, uh, the civilian workforce, we also have our own history and our story within the LGBT community from the era of McCarthy all the way to now. And that's... We could talk about hours about that one as well. Right. I'd, I'd like to uh, mention four books that I uh, would recommend to anybody who wants to go a little deeper. 
And the first one is one called The Lavender Scare, which, though it references uh, discrimination in the military, it's primarily about, as you say, that period in which it was official federal policy as a result of an executive order that President Eisenhower issued in 1953 that no gay person could be hired or retained if they were identified after they were already working for whatever civilian uh, federal agency. And thousands were discharged because of that. There's even one documented instance of uh, a gay man who worked for the State Department who committed suicide after the State Department found out he was gay and was uh, firing him. The other three books are specifically about the history of LGB in the military. The first one is called Coming Out Under Fire mm -hmm. uh, by uh, Alan Baruby. That's about LGB during World War II. The second is Conduct Unbecoming by Randy Schilt, which is about LGBTs in the military primarily from World War II to the creation of uh, codification into Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And the third is Unfriendly Fire by Nathaniel Frank, and it is specifically about the fight to try to lift the ban uh, in 1993 that uh, crashed and burned becoming Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Those are all great resources. Um, I have to say three out of those four books are already on my on my house library. <laughs> Excellent, brava. <laughs> but brava, I have a new brava. one now, so I'm, I'm very happy about that. <laughs> and just for our listeners, we'll post uh, the books and authors on the wiki page. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, thank you so much. And um, I know we're coming to a close on, on our on our time, but I wanted to get a little bit, a couple more questions in. Uh, the first one is after, since you have such a wealth of history in, in your brain, actually, and <laughs> knowing all this, what does pride mean to you, pride month and pride celebrations mean to you? Could I answer that with a quote from Leonard? Absolutely. The last time he made a public uh, appearance about five weeks before he died, was at a uh, March for Gay Rights on Sacramento, the state capital of California, of course. There were about 26,000 people there, even though it was raining. And this is what Leonard told the crowd. I want you to look at our flag, our rainbow flag, and I want you to look at it with pride in your heart because we too have a dream. And what is our dream? Ours is more than an American dream. It's a universal dream. Because in South Africa, we're black and white. And in Northern Ireland, we're Protestant and Catholic. And in Israel, we're Jew and Muslim. And our mission is to reach out and teach people to love and not to hate. Thank you. That, that's a beautiful quote. And although I would love to end it there, I did have another question for you. Um, 
do you have any advice? Uh, so our, our workforce is mostly civilian supporting the military, but do you have any advice or any takeaways for our workforce for, from this talk and for Pride Month? I must give credit for the expression of it to a former special counsel for the Air Force, Gordon Tanner, who spoke at our 2015 LGBT Pride observance in Congressional Cemetery. The way he phrased it was each individual has to make the choice for themselves, but be as out as you possibly can be. And maybe try to be a little more out on the job than you think you might be able to be. Because the thing which most leads to positive change for communities that are discriminated against are put is putting a face to members of that community. And when people at the Pentagon or some installation thousands of miles from it discover that the person who works next to them is lesbian or gay or bisexual or transgender. That has the power to open their minds and their hearts like nothing they could read or nothing else they can see or do. That is great, great advice. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, and I want to thank you for um, spending uh, your afternoon with us. This was wonderful. You're such a great resource, and you have a wealth of knowledge of our history. And I hope generations to come can still go back and learn from our history and see how far we've come and understand how far they can go. I totally agree. As I quoted to you before, Maya Angelou said, the more you know about your history, the more liberated you are. We are a people. We have a very proud history. We have much to contribute to the world going forward as we have in the past. And I think every one of your listeners, whether they're civilian or uniformed or serving their country, it was an honor to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Tangents. You can find this episode and the other Pride Month episodes on the Tangents Wiki and follow us on Fusion hashtag Tangents.